All right, Shabbosai, good morning. Let us, let us begin. We have a beautiful shear ahead of us today. Begin by thanking our sponsors. We thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Elul, Avram and Shane D. Kelman for dedicating all the Sherman Drushals this month in honor of the engagement of Yechiel to Alana Falik in memory of their parents, Jerome and Bernice Kelman, Alexander and Federica David Zichron and Bracha. To thank Barak, Maya, Sandy, Hoffman, Dora, Limas, and Avi Malamed for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of Ruven Ben Emanuel. To thanks Alial and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Shurim this month in the schools of Rafur Shalima for Shulamis Bas Sushal. The Dafyomi share for dedicating the share this month in the Sussur of Fushlema for Yehuda Ben Michal. A week of learning sponsors, Jeff and Karen Cohn, in commemoration of the yard site of Jeff's mother, Eleanor Cohn, Elka Bas Binyamin, our day of learning sponsors, Sandy Hoffman, in memory of her mother, Mindel Rudman, Braina Mina Bas Baruch, Zichron Levracha, and our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Daniel and Daniel and Avigail Chaver, Le'iloi Nishmas, Yitzchak Ben David, Zichron Levracha. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Nishamas will have an Aliyah, the families in Nechama, and all those who require a refuah should have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. Most with that, let us begin. We have a lot to do today, Baruch Hashem. Today's daf is Ayin Zayin 77, a really incredible Gemara ahead of us today. Um, we are picking up on Ayin Vavim Abay's 76b, and we left off, we left off, um, let's pick up, let's pick up, so V'i Yohiv, V'i Yohiv. So it's 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, about 30 lines up from the bottom. So I'll say this, remember again, the Gemara, just the general topic we're talking about, it, we started with, obviously started with the Mishnah. And the Mishnah established the principle that essentially wherever the mum is found, that is where we assume it originated. The Gemara now is bringing in a series of cases that are, familiar, that, that are similar to that. The case that we ended up with yesterday is a, per- is a person who purchases an animal, and after shechting the animal, he discovers that what? The animal is a trefa. So the question, of course, becomes, when did the animal become a trefa? So the Mishnah, so the Gemara, so we went through a number of different qualities. Again, did the needle pierce both sides of the stomach? Did it scab over? Is there blood? So the Gemara says, V'iyoiv tabach domi and ultimately, again, if the butcher already paid for the animal, he paid the owner of the animal for the animal, he has to bring a raya that the animal had a pre-existing trefa condition. And then ultimately, again, he would be able to extract the money from the owner. So the Gemarsivah why don't we suggest the opposite, that the owner of the animal should go ahead and bring a raya that the trefa, that the trefa condition only exists, or I should say, came into existence now, he should bring the raya and therefore be able to keep the money. To which the Gemara says, Ultimately, what are we talking about? A case where the butcher did not go ahead and pay the money. So the Gemara says, my Pascha. Now, why would you assume that that's the case, right? Why would you assume that? Eloki Asrayim Varicheskel Amar Lo Saisinhu Lahani Klali Dekal Yehuda Achim Mishmei Deshuah. Both of you've seen this statement a number of times. Rabbi Varicheskel said, "Do not pay any attention to the principles that my brother Yehuda espouses in the name of Shmuel, because how get Mishmuel? This is what Shmuel really said. Kol Shinolot Safek Bershuso Alav Harayo. 
Shmuel said that halacha l'maisa will say in whoever's possession the suffix occurs, that is the person ultimately again who's obligated to bring the rise, who upon whom is the burden of proof. The tanatuna kala, and a similar case is the case of kala, which I will say is exactly the case of our Mishnah, right? That essentially wherever the mum originates or wherever the mum is discovered. That is the person ultimately again who bears the burden of proof. So Mesve the Gmaris the Kasha, Mesve, Machachinemsab Nishinimtes Baovi Besakosos. If you find a needle through the stomach, one of the stomachs of the animal, so the Rumagar quotes that case. Now again, if we're talking about a case where the butcher did not yet pay money, so the Gimar said, Balbahima Baila Suiraya Umapik. Then in that case, the owner of the animal is obligated to go ahead and Bring a raya that the trefa, the trefa simon only originated after the sale of the animal, and by that he could extract the money. Va'amai, why should we say that? Sveka bishos tabach The suffix began in the rishos of the butcher. So to which the Gemara says, you're right, the yoyev tabach domi. We're talking about a case ultimately again where the butcher paid money. The Gemara says, my pasca, why would you assume that the butcher already paid for the animal? So we'll say the Gemara is off with a very simple principle, which is, stam the milsa. Because there's a simple principle in life. If you don't pay money, you don't get the animal. In other, words, in other words, the easiest default case for us to deal with is where the butcher already paid the money, butcher already paid the money, and ultimately, again, now he's in possession of the animal. He discovers the mom once the mom is in his possession. So both sides, again, the Gemara is just trying to bring different cases to support our Mishnah, or that are similar to our Mishnah, but still with our guiding light principle. All roads lead back to our Mishnah. Again, we have a case of a mum that is discovered. If the, if the Mishnah said, if the mum is discovered in the father's house, then ultimately, again, that is where the father, then the father has the obligation to prove that the mum only occurred after Arison. So the mum is discovered after Nisuin. The burden of proof is upon the husband to go ahead and show that the mum, that the mum was a pre-existing condition. Good. The Chum say, when is this true? All the Mishnah said, only if we're talking about mumin that are in parts of the body that are covered, right? Because then, then one could claim a mekach tos. But if it's a mum that was observable, then we assume that what? The husband saw it and he accepted it. He accepted it. Amr of Nachman and Nachman says, Tap of Ayin Zayin, the nichba kimumin shebeseser. They will say, nichba, Rashi says, is holy shemimenu no fella aretz, deishtoz malavo. They will say, this is top of 77a. So, interestingly enough, the Mishnah describing over here um, seizures. So, Nikhba is often translated as epilepsy. As epilepsy. Epilepsy is considered to be a mum shemesesar, a hidden mum. So, the Gemara says, Vahani nearly, this is only true, dikavia le zman. What I will say, as, uh, interesting, I, I don't know, I guess at least in the times of the Gemara, it might have been that there are different forms of epilepsy. Well, there are different forms of epilepsy. But what they're describing over here is that in this situation of epilepsy, the, the seizures would come at defined intervals. So if a woman has epilepsy in a way that seizures come at defined intervals, there's the possibility that what? That she could go ahead and hide this condition from her chasan. So in a situation like that, Epilepsy, even though again it presents with seizures, which are obviously again begully can be seen, 
If she knows that it only occurs at certain times, she could be sure not to be seen by her chassan at those times. And therefore, this is called a mum shebeseser, a hidden mum. A hidden mum. Avalok but ultimately, again, if it's the type of epilepsy that the seizures don't come at, don't come at particular intervals, but instead, again, come at any time, then it's considered to be a revealed mum, a revealed blemish. And therefore, again, if he married her anyway, that means that's what? That he accepted this mum. Incredible. So we'll see now we're going to turn the tables a little bit. Says the Mishnah, Ha'ish shenol duba mumin. So we'll listen to this. Let's say a man. Now, nol dubo literally means what? Nol dubo literally means um, developed. Developed. So it sounds like what we're talking about over here is a case where the man developed the mum sometime later on. Again, we'll discuss this in the Gimara in just a moment. So shenol duba mumin. If a man developed woman in Kofin Osa Lahotzi, we do not force him to divorce his wife. When is this true? With a small with small woman. Small woman. However, but with significant woman, Kofin Oso Lahotzi. We would force him to go ahead and divorce his wife. So let's talk about this. It says the Gimara Vihuda Tani Noldu, Chia Barav Tani Hayu. Suppose they two different versions of the Mishnah. Rabbi Huda says that the word of the Mishnah is noldu. Noldu means what? He developed a mum. Suppose they developed usually, how would we understand developed? Developed when? Developed when? After marriage. In other words, during marriage. During marriage. So this was not a pre existing condition. Instead, this was something that developed during marriage. Chiyabarav says, no, no, no. The word of the Mishnah is hayu. We're talking about a case where the man had the mum, it was a pre existing condition. So the opinion who holds, the opinion who holds, ultimately, again, Noldu, that we're talking about a case of where he developed a mum during marriage, and again, the Mishnah saying, we don't force him to divorce her, would all the more so agree that what? That if he had the mum, if it was a pre-existing condition, we would not force him to divorce her. Why not? Because again, if it was a pre-existing condition, that means she knew about it. If she knew about it and married him anyway, what does that mean? What does that mean? She accepted it. She accepted it. However, man damar hayu aval noldu lo. I will say, but according to the opinion, it says that the Mishnah says hayu, which means it was a pre-existing condition. That's fine. If she knew about it and accepted it, that's one thing. But noldu means they developed during marriage. Who says that she is willing to live with that mom? To which the Gemara says, When is this so? Now the Gemara goes on. When is this so that we don't force the husband to divorce the wife because of a mum? The mumin kitanim with small mumin, aval the mumin gidolim kofin oso lahotzi. But with significant mumin, significant mumin, we would force the husband to divorce his wife. So bishlom leman damer leman damer noldu. So according to the opinion that says the mum developed, meaning post marriage, then hainu the shiny ben gidolim kitanim. I understand the distinction. Between a, a, a what we'll call a large mum and a small mum, elaman damar hayu. But according to the opinion that says that this was a pre-existing condition, mali gedolim, mali ketanim, hasavra vikibla. So, say if we're talking about a mum that was a pre-existing condition, there's no discussion. Big mum, small mum, significant mum, insignificant mum. If it's pre-existing, then what? She knew about it. If she knew about it and she married him, what does that tell us? She accepted it. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. To which the Gemara says, Kisurihi, she'echol lekabel 
To which the Gemara says, it's not necessarily true. It's actually pretty incredible. That even if it was a pre-existing condition, it's possible that sometimes a woman gets married, she knows about the mum of her husband, but yet she assumes she could handle it. And then after marriage and living with this man, with this mum, she realizes, I can't. I will say, by the way, it's a very profound yisod that there are times in life that we think that we can handle certain things, right? I see a situation, I assess the situation, and I assume I can handle this. And then I get into it, and I start trying to handle it, and I realize, I can't. I can't. To which the Yomar says, So I'll say, what are examples? What are some examples of a mum gadol? Of a significant mum. Nismis eno. Being blind in one eye. Nikta'a yado. Ultimately, again, missing a hand. Right? Missing a hand. V'nishpara raglo. Literally, is a broken foot. A broken foot. But Lamaisa, again, in this context, broken foot doesn't mean something that is going to heal. Right? It means that someone, it means that someone is, is crippled. Is crippled. So we'll say, so it's interesting, by the way, how, again, the Gemara defines mum gadol, mum gadol as a physical handicap. It's a physical handicap. So itmar, Rabbi Abba Bar Yaakov, Amr, Amr, Yochan, Allah, Rabbi Shimon, Leo. So we'll say, listen to this. Rabbi Abba Bar Yaakov says that Allah follows Rabbi Shimon, Leo. Namely, that although the Mishnah says that we don't force a husband to divorce his wife, ultimately, again, if, if, if a mum, if a mum developed, if a mum developed, right? Because remember, again, the, the simple girsa of the Mishnah is noldu, which means it developed now. Ultimately, again, if it's a mum gadol, we will force him to divorce her, and or if she wants to get divorced. Rava Amar follows the chachamim, namely that halacha lamaisi. Even with a mum gadol, we won't force a husband to divorce his wife. Me, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan actually say this. Yet, Rabbi Rabbi said, whenever Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is in our Mishnah, the halacha always follows Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, in which case, Rabbi would seem to be that in a case of Mum Gadol, we would force the husband to divorce his wife, to which the Gemara says, Chutz, with the exceptions of Arev, Sidon, Bere'iya Achrona. So I'll say these are three cases where the halacha doesn't follow Shimon Gamliel, to which the Gemara says, You're right, Amoroi Ninhu, to which the Gemara says, ultimately, again, it's a machlokis amoraim. It's a machlokis amoraim. And ultimately, again, this is in accordance with Rabbi Yochanan. So again, we're not going to do the halacha lamais here because we're not finished with this sugya. But what I do want to point out to you is something really interesting, which is that halacha lamaisa, halacha lamaisa, the Gemara, the Mishnah now introduces me to this concept that if certain women develop in the husband over the course of marriage, you can't go ahead and force him to divorce his wife based on that. Now again, I will say, if she makes a tenai at the outset, before Erisin, right? The same way that he can make a tenai, right? That Hariat Mikodesh is the Amanas, whatever. She could also make a tenai. She could also make a condition that I'm getting married. So if she were to make a condition, I'm getting married to on the condition, you don't have a mom. And he does have a mom, then ultimately, again, of course, the marriage will. But assuming no such condition was made, the Mishnah is introducing us to the idea that we cannot force a husband to divorce his wife because of a mum that develops in him. In him. Now let's further qualify this a little bit. But there are cases, it's interesting. So right after we just say that we don't force a husband to divorce his wife because of a mum, the Mishnah now says we don't force him to divorce his wife in the case of a mum except 
when we do, right? And when are the cases where we'll force a husband to divorce his wife because of a mum? Here, here are cases where if a husband has this condition, we will force his wife to divorce. We will force him to divorce his wife. Now, we'll say, just want to point out, what, what does it mean we force him to divorce his wife? What does that mean? What that means is that Chazal said, in certain circumstances, we do not see this marriage as a benefit for the wife. It's a benefit for the wife. Right? Therefore, Chazal effectively advocates on her behalf for the dissolution of this marriage. So let's see. Let's see what are some examples. Here are the cases where because of a certain condition, ultimately Chazal will advocate on behalf of the woman for the dissolution of the marriage. What are they? Mukas Shrin, a man who is covered in boils. Mukas Shrin. Bal Polifus, a person who suffers from polyphus. We'll see what that means in the Gemara. Vahamakamates. And I will say some of these terms we'll define. We'll have to see what they mean. Mekamets means someone who gathers. Gathers. Gathers what we'll see. Vahamatsarif nechoshes. One who goes ahead and literally again refines, refines copper. Borsi, a tanner. A tanner. Now I will say out of all of these cases, the one I understand is what? A tanner. What's wrong with the tanner? Tanning, tanning has a terrible, terrible odor. The issue is that a tanner often, again, had that odor. In other words, I guess when you work around that odor all of the time, it seeps into your skin. So the problem is, he was not smelled very badly. So a man is a tanner, and ultimately, again, his wife can't handle it. We go ahead and we advocate on her behalf for the dissolution of this marriage. The Rabbi said, the Mishnah makes an interesting qualification. So we'll say, this is true, by the way, whether these conditions were pre-existing conditions or whether they were, or whether, quote-unquote, they developed after marriage. Either of us, in other words, we see, this, we see these as objective circumstances that a regular human being cannot live with. And therefore, again, even if we want to say, I, but you knew about it, right? Husband says, you knew I was a tanner, right? Or you knew I had boils or, or this or that. Lemaise, again, we understand that objectively, even if she thought she could handle it, we understand why objectively now she could, she could claim, I can't handle it, and therefore we advocate on her behalf. And as I was again, as we just mentioned before, even though in all of these cases, he said to her, look, I want to be transparent about who I am, what I am, and what I do. Right? I have boils, I have polyphos, I'm a gatherer, I work with copper, I'm a tanner. He's putting, right? It's on a shidduch resume. He was totally transparent about all of this stuff. Lamaisa, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, she could claim, I, I got it. I, I, I'm not claiming you deceived me. I understand that. It's not the truth. Like, I thought you were an accountant, and it turns out that you're a tanner. Right? I, I, I got it. In other words, I, I, I know you were transparent. I thought I could handle it. I can't. I can't. I can't. So I'll say, yeah, okay. The Chum say, no, no, listen, listen. If she knew about it, if she knew about it, and she said she can handle it, then she said she can't. In other words, we'll say, that doesn't mean that she's stuck in the marriage, but in other words, what it means is we're not going to advocate on her behalf for the dissolution of the marriage. So, with the exception of someone who's covered in boils, 
Mipnei Shememasko. Also, we're going to see, because someone who's covered in boils, we'll say, ultimately, physical intimacy becomes impossible. And in fact, interestingly enough, is detrimental to the health of the husband. So in a case like that, where ultimately, again, the condition pretty much just impedes any normative married life, then we'll advocate for her, even though what? It was a, she knew about the condition. Story. It's a very interesting case. But say Reuven was married to Rachel, right? So the story that happened in Sidon. And Reuven was a tanner. Was a tanner, right? And what happens? Reuven died without children. So now his wife, Rachel, falls to his brother, Shimon, for Yibam. And Shimon is also a tanner. Amru Chachamim. Chachamim said, she could say, listen, I was able to stand your brother who was a tanner. I can't stand you who's a tanner. In other words, what the Gemara is saying is like this, that she could say, listen, Reuven was a tanner, but he had many other redeeming qualities. And therefore, again, I was able to go ahead and deal with the fact that, that he had this odor. You, brother Shimon, you're a nice guy, but uh, you know I, I don't see the same qualities in you, and therefore, again, how, even though you have the same profession as my husband, I don't think I could do yibum because of your profession. And ultimately, again, we would accept that claim, and therefore force Shimon to go ahead and do chalitza. In other words, what the Mishnah is introducing us is, just because a woman accepted one husband as a tanner, doesn't automatically mean that she'll accept any husband as a tanner. Okay, incredible. Says the my my Ba'apolifos, what is, what, what is Ba'apolifos, right? Remember again, one of the conditions that the Mishnah said that could trigger a divorce, that we would force him to divorce his wife, is if he has Polifos. What's Polifos? So, um, so listen to this. Literally an odor of the nose. His nose omits some type of odor. Chronic bad breath. Ravasi masni, Ravasi just the opposite. Umanach sinna, he gave it a way to remember it. Shmuel apasik pume mikule pirkin. That Shmuel is constantly giving opinions throughout the Mishnah. Therefore, Shmuel is the one who said that it's bad breath. It also has come the number between nose odor, nose odor and bad breath. Again, these are right, true, right? The, right? These are chronic conditions that ultimately, again, impede a husband and wife from coming close to each other. So ultimately, again, it's pretty difficult to have a normative marriage in a situation like this. Vamakames gatherer, gatherer of what? My makames This is someone who goes ahead and collects dog excrement. I will say this is interesting. Rashi says, "Vamakames savas kalavim lo yadati matzorechba." Uh, so Rashi says, I don't know why someone would do this. Right? But I will say, well, look, but look at this very interesting. But he writes over here, Aval Ashkenaz, in Ashkenaz in Germany, it's always the Yepes, right? Listen to this, Aval Ashkenaz, Raisi Sheshorbam Habagadim Lifnei Kovson Yom Yomam. This is fascinating. Apparently, they used to use dog excrement as some type of detergent, which is, which is quite fascinating. He says, I saw an Ashkenaz that they would let the clothing sit in it sit in it for a day or two before longer. I guess if you let your clothing sit in it, whatever stains you did have on it, no longer matter. Right? So, so again, it must be dry, dried out or whatever, however they used it. However, they, The point is, he's not, it was actually interesting, in different masectas, sometimes dog excrement was also used as part of the tanning process. 
Okay, in any event, the point is there's a reason for it, but this, this is his occupation. This is occupation. So therefore, again, such an occupation could be grounds ultimately again to trigger the divorce. So may say mekamitz yabursi. So we'll say yet yeah, elsewhere the bride says mekamitz is a tanner. Well, the tamech tikshilak machzis. And but according to that, the mission is problematic because what does the mission say? Hamekamitz v'amitzarif nechoshes v'abursi. So we'll say our Mishnah it states both mekamitz and bursi and tanner, which would indicate us that they're not the same thing. So bishlomas nisan lo tikshilokashia. Maybe the Mishnah is making a difference between different kinds of tanners, right? There are, there are, I guess, you know, full-time tanners and part-time tanners. So the Mishnah is coming to issue that whether he's a full-time tanner or a part-time tanner, that could trigger a divorce. According to Yehuda, what does he do with this? To which the Gemara says, right, Tanoihi, it's Tanoim, as to how to go ahead and define Makamitz. Tisanya, Makamitz, Zeb Bursi. So again, we learned in our Brahsa, Makamitz, that's a Tanner. Vish Omrim, Zam Makamitz, Savas Kalavim. Or others say, no, it's one who goes ahead and collects dog excrement. Okay, so we'll say, so whether it's a Tanner or whether it's collecting dog excrement, the point is it's the type of profession where even if she knew about it ahead of time and she thought, I could handle this, if she turns around and says, I can't, we allow that to trigger the divorce. So we advocate for divorce on her behalf. So we'll say, my what does it mean ultimately, again, that someone refines copper? Rav Ashi Amar, Chashli Dudi. Rav Ashi says, Chashli Rashi says, it's one of us who hammers out copper. So apparently hammering out copper, like, like a tanner, has a terrible, terrible odor. And so that odor, that odor ultimately impacts the person who's doing this work. No, no, it means someone who mines copper. We'll say either way, the idea over here is the same, which is it has to do with the odor. So that's what Rabbi What's Someone who mines copper. Amarav. Okay. So we'll say that's all these cases. Amarav. If a man says to his wife, ultimately, again, I'm not going to feed you, I'm not going to support you, in that case, we force him to divorce her. You're not, you're not going to feed your wife, you're not going to support your wife, you're not a husband. Okay, so divorce her, divorce her, and perek suva. Azra Belazar, Amr the Shemai, take him the Shemur. Belazar came along and said over this ruling in front of Shemur. Amr, Shemur said, So go ahead and feed barley to Elazar. I will say, tell, saying, go feed barley to someone was an insult, right? Barley is animal food. Barley is animal food. So I will say, brother, this is a good one. You know, if you ever want to insult someone and they don't even know, all right, which is it? Yeah, why don't you go have some barley? Why don't you go have some barley, right? So the Daphne guys will chuckle and the person might not know what you're talking about. So I will say, so again, they said, go feed, go feed barley to Allah. So what are you talking about over here? Again, instead of forcing him to divorce his wife, force him to what? Force him to what? To support her, force him to do good, force him to make good on this. Rav, Rav said, you can't do that. You can't live with a snake in a basket, which was is the expression for a chazal, which is an incredible idea. You can't build a marriage with unpredictable people. Right? Both say it's an incredibly important episode. Right? Predictability, predictability is almost like a sense of consistency and continuity is necessary for a marriage. So this is the kind of guy who says to his wife, I'm not feeding you. I'm not supporting you. So great. You force them to support. You can't build a marriage with a person like this. You can't live in the basket with a snake. When Rabbi Zera came, 
Bar Yafis, the Yasef Vikam Le Mishmei, dear Rabbi Yochanan. He found Rabbi Yom Rayafis, who was sitting, and said, Or name of Rabbi Yochanan, or they Adda Achsa Saorin, excuse me, Adda Achsa Saorin, the Elazar Be Babel. About this matter, they gave Elazar to eat barley in Babel. Okay, I'm Rabbi Hudam Rav Asi, Eim Asan Elipsos. We'll say first of the widest line. We only force a husband to divorce his wife in a situation where he's married to someone who is puzzled. When I said this on front of Shmuel, for example, Kigon, Amar of the Kohen Gadol, Grusha Bechalutz of the Kohen Hedyot, Mamzer is from the Sin of Bas Yisrael, Nisin, sorry, Bas Yisrael and the Sin of the Mamzer. But say, when do we force divorce? When it's a legal marriage. Right? The Kohen Gadol is married to a widow, right? The regular Kohen is married to a, a divorcee, a Yisrael marries a Mamzeres. Those are illegal marriages, and that's what forced the divorce. Aval. Nasa Isha Visha Ima Ezra Shana Velo Yolda. I will say, let's say a man is married to a woman and they haven't had children for 10 years. So, ain kofin also. In that case, we do not force him to divorce her. And I will say, we've seen this before. What's the novelty in that? Even though a man has an obligation to pray of Arivia, and Chazal say that if you live with a woman for 10 years and you don't have children, mitzvah legarsha valisa acheres, it is a mitzvah to divorce her and marry someone else so you can have children. The Gemara says, we don't force divorce in a case like that. We only force divorce where the marriage represents active isser, active prohibition. In a case where marriage is not allowing for opportunity to perform a mitzvah, ultimately, again, we will not force divorce. Not true. Even in a case where Allah, the husband and wife have lived together for 10 years and don't have a child, we will force divorce in such a situation to allow the husband to fulfill the mitzvah of So we'll say, so essentially what it's saying is like this, what's the machlokes? Everyone agrees we force divorce when the marriage represents an avera. What's the shayla? Do we force divorce where the marriage stands in your way of the performance of a mitzvah? So one opinion says no, second opinion says yes. So tanan, ilu shikof, and also the hotzi, we'll say, but look at our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says, when do we force divorce? Muka shechen polifos, Bishon Ravasi. So according to Ravasi, I understand again, the Mishnah is only talking about cases of Dirabanans. Right? These are Dirabanan cases. Doraisa Lokatani. The Mishnah doesn't include a case where what? Where the couple has lived together for 10 years, they don't have children. Of course we force divorce in a case like that, so the husband could fulfill the Mitzvah Doraisa. Or for that matter again, even in Isri Doraisa. So El Rav Tachlifa Baravdimi, listening, Nasa Isha Vashayim Aizra Shanim. So I'll say, according to Rav Tachlifa Baravdimi, why doesn't the Mishnah also include the case? Of so again, according to the first opinion, the Mishnah is only talking about the Rabbanons. It's not including any Daraisa cases. But according to Rav Tachlifa, why not also include the case of the Mishnah of a man and woman who lived together for 10 years? There are no children that will force them to get divorced so the husband could have children. To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara last line I will say, Habamili, Habashuti. Very interesting, I will say. Ultimately, again, the, the, Mishnah, the Mishnah is talking about cases where we force divorce with words. We coerce them to get divorced with words. What don't we utilize? Physical force. Yet, in the case of where they've been married for 10 years, and what? And there are no children? In that case, I would say we would use force. Shuti literally means a rod. Look at Rashi. Last Rashi. Habamili. Apir v'rivi b'mili miyasvinon. Bishute lo radinale. Abahanach bishute nami radinale. Yishi efshal l'kabal. So I would say, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry, just the opposite. The cases in the Mishnah is where we'll force divorce even with physical force. Even with physical force, Bishuti. The case of Pirivarivya, the case of Pirivarivya, 
ultimately again by force, divorce, but not with force. But not with force, only with words. Maskif la Rabbi Abba, Bidvarn lo Yusar Evit, Rabbi Abba quoted the Pasik that says, with words you cannot chastise a servant, which means generally coercing people with words, at least in matters of divorce, doesn't work. To which the Lord says, I'm Rabbi Abba, Hava Habashuti. You're right. In all of these cases, both the case of the Mishnah as well as the case of Pirivarivya will force divorce with physical force. Hasam, listen to this, Hasam, Ki Amra Habina Shafkinan. It was, here's what's interesting. In the cases of the Mishnah, what happens if the woman turns around and says, you know what? I'm okay with the mom. I'm okay with the mom. The guy is a mukashkin, right? The guy is a tanner. She says, you know what? I'm okay with this. So we'll say, if she says she's okay with it, then what? Then what? We let it go. Hacha, in the case of Pirivarivya, ultimately again, but in the case of Pirivarivya, ultimately again, even if she says, I'm okay with this, we don't allow the marriage to continue. Why? Because that marriage stands in the way of his fulfillment of Pirivarivya. But I will say, what about the case of Mukashrin? The guy covered with boils, the Mishnah said, even if she says what? Even if she says, I'm okay with this, we don't let them get, we don't let them stay together. Why? So I will say, because remember, Mukashrin, the problem is, I will say, that remaining married and having an intimate life is physically detrimental for his condition. Vikatani Hasam, and we said over there, Ki Amra Dairana Bahadi Saadi Shakinala. So I'll say interestingly enough, in the case of Mukashrin, if she if they agree to live together in the presence of witnesses, meaning what? To ensure that there's no intimacy, okay, if that's how they want to live, we let the marriage continue. Haha Afagab the Dairina Bahade Bisadi Lo Shafkinala. I will say, but if she claims, okay, with Pirivarivya, we'll live together with witnesses. Obviously, that's not going to work. So I both say, so essentially what you have over here really are three categories of cases. You have the case of where the marriage represents an Isra Da'oraisa. Biblical prohibition. Coin married, coin Godel married to a, to a widow. Regular coin married to a divorcee. You saw married to a In those cases, the Allah, of course, automatically says that Allah, they have to get divorced. Then you have the next category, what we'll call the Dirabanons, which is our Mishnah, our Mishnah which are really situations of either physical conditions or professions that make a normal married life impossible. In those cases, what's the We will advocate on her behalf for the dissolution of the marriage. We'll force him to divorce her. I, what if she says, I'll live with the condition, I'm okay with it, then what? We let her, with the exception, of course, of Mukashchin. Mukashchin, where ultimately, again, remaining married is fit, and intimate life is physically detrimental to him, will force divorce. Third category, I will say, is let's say where marriage has existed for 10 years and has not produced children. So now we assume at this point, this marriage is not going to result in peer of So here, the marriage doesn't represent an isser. What does the marriage represent? An inability to perform a mitzvah's asay, a positive commandment for the husband. Because remember again, a woman does not have an obligation of peer appropriation. It's on the husband. So what do we do in that case? So we'll say, here there are two schools of thought. Right? One school of thought is that we force divorce. We force divorce because this marriage is standing in the way of the husband's fulfillment of a mitzvah say. Second opinion is, look, if they want to stay married, they'll stay married. We'll say, how do we pass it in this case? Very interesting. The Shulchan Aruch says, contemporarily, in marriages which we know are not going to produce children, halacha doesn't intervene. If this is what the couple wants, and this is, we do not, the same way, by the way, we'll say, remember again, back in your bummus, the Gemara said that if a young man is going to marry a much, much older woman, 
in a way that halacha l'mayis are not going to have children. The Gemara says we don't let them get married. The Shulchan Aruch says today we don't intervene in such unions. See, even though if there's a marriage that either we know from the outset is not going to produce children, or the couple's been married for ten years and they haven't had children, that Shulchan Aruch paskins we do not intervene in marriages like this. Listen to this. So Rabbi Yossi said, an old man from Jerusalem, one of the old men of Jerusalem told me the following. Listen to this fascinating Gemara. There are 24 different types of boil conditions. That's the right word. Right? 24 different types of boils. Being of the boils. And I will say, all of these physical conditions are aggravated by Tashmish. Right? By Tashmish, by relations. Ubali Ra'as and Kashemikulan. I both say the hardest form of Mukashin, the most intense form, ultimately again is Bali Ra'asan. Ra'asan. Ra'asan, that was the condition. So the Mara says, Mimai Havi, how do you get Ra'asan? Where does that come from? Both say it's fascinating. Visanya, Hekis Dam Bishimish. If a person does bloodletting and then has relations immediately afterwards, Havi Lo Banin Viskin. He will have weak children. Hekis Dushnevishim, true, both husband and wife did bloodletting and then had relations. They will have children afflicted by Ra'asan. This is only true if you don't eat anything after bloodletting. But if you eat something after bloodletting and then have relations, the children will be okay. So the Lord says, I'll say, what, how, how do you, what are the symptoms of Ra'asan? Right? What are the symptoms? We'll say, so it's interesting. Even though the Gemara is, is grouping this together with, together with Muki Shechin, being afflicted with boils, we're going to see Ra'asan. Ra'asan doesn't necessarily just present with boils. How does Ra'asan present? This is fascinating. Dolphon Ene, teary eyes, Vidaivi Nechure, a dripping nose, Vaisila Reire Mipume, and ultimately again, drooling. Drooling. So teary eyes, teary eyes, runny nose, and drooling. So the Gemara says, And there are flies constantly around him. So I will say, how do you go at what's, how do, how do you cure, how do you cure Ra'asan? Then I will say, I want to point out to you, if you look at Rashi, Rashi's on both sides of this Gemara. Look at Rashi on the right side, which is a moment. Rashi identifies something amazing. Bali Ra'asan, Sheret Yeshlo B'mocho. We'll say, what does it mean, Sheret Yeshlo B'mocho? Rashi identifies Rasan as a parasite. It's some type of parasite which, embed, which embeds itself on the membrane on the brain. So I will say, so incredible. So th- that's how they're identifying it. So how do you cure it? I will say, get ready for this. Do, I want to point out, do not try this at home. Right? Again, remember, whenever you see Talmudic medicine, this is not uniquely Jewish. This is what, this was the conventionally held opinions. So listen to this. Am Rabbi, what should you do? Pilo. Go and take pennyroyal, wormwood, girda dagoza, the bark, the bark of a, of, a, of a nut tree, of a walnut tree, the girda dashpa, the shavings of a hive, the kalil malka, take a lily flower, umaschala didikla sumka, and take the husks of a date, of dates, dark dates, the shalak luvahadiada, they cook all of these things together, umaili lay the base of the shisha. Take it into a house of marble. Now, we'll say the chaput or, or, vilo, if you can't find a house of marble, vilo, ikabisa de shesha, my vilo, the base of the shev, the libni aricha. Take it to a house whose walls are seven and a half bricks thick. The idea, I will say, over here is you need to apply this remedy in a place 
where there is no breeze. There is no breeze. And what should you do? Vinata me pour three hundred cups of this concoction on the head of the afflicted patient, until the top of the scalp, the top of the scalp becomes soft. Open up the scalp. Open up the scalp. Then I was saying, when you open up the scalp, you're going to expose the parasite. When you expose the parasite, then what happens? Bring four leaves, four leaves. So we'll say, and put each leg, the parasite, parasite has four legs, put each leg on one of the leaves, on the, and right, on one, one at a time. We'll say, the idea is you have to remove the parasite very gently, because otherwise, Rashi says, what happens? It will embed itself on the brain and kill the patient. Then, one, then pick up the parasite with tongues, the kalila, and burn it. And burn it. Ultimately, again, because if not, the parasite will come back. So we'll say that is the cure, says Mepharas. I'm going to stop over here for today. Again, I, I don't know what the survival rate was, right? But Lamaisa, we'll say, but again, this, this was the medicine of that. So I just want to give you coming attractions tomorrow. Tomorrow? Ridiculously amazing Gemara. Ridiculously amazing. So I'll say, so that's our start. Amir Hashem, shorter death tomorrow. So we'll be back on track. Shkoya. All right, Chavran Zoom, have a great day, everyone.